Yes. Some would call it day drinking. But those people, speaking out of stark ignorance, don't actually realize that this is a love potion. Mm -hmm. It's a love... Now, traditional love potions are drunk by those whom someone wants them to love them. So they give them a love potion, and then the receiver of said potion then drinks it and falls in love with the person who gave it to him, right? This, this is a love potion where I drink it, and the audience becomes more attractive, thereby allowing me to seduce the audience and then have the audience love me even more. That's right. I guess you could just call it day drinking. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is great to have you. It is February 14th. It is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, the big old heart. You know what you could do? If you're, if you're a girl or maybe you have moobs, man boobs, you could press your chest together and create the shape of a heart with your breasts just by depressing the lower part upward. And you could do that on Valentine's Day to show your love for that person that you love. See, I do the same thing. Because I use my testicles and it's like an upside-down heart. Just like an evil, hairy testicle heart. <laughs> How you guys doing? <laughs> uh, William, thanks for joining live. Hey, Snowflake, up there hiding earlier today. Thanks for commenting on the video so early. Gary, how you doing, man? Jeff, what's up? Dragon Moon, how you doing? Dandelion Bodies. I do actually like that name a lot. Sean, what's up? Uh, Lazarus, how you doing? <laughs> Three steps ahead of me. Okay, well, it's going to be a good show. Um, yeah, in The Devil's Advocate, where I'm going to be talking about growth and how it's not a race. Not a race as in like an ethnic race, but a race as in a foot race to get to some sort of imaginary finish but it's not that so don't worry about it in the second segment infernal informant there was no triumph for trump we'll talk about that here in just a second and science explains why we kiss ah uh, it's it's valentine's day you gotta talk about something sexual in some way right well i'm going to it'll be fun and the creature feature this has been out since like 2019 I saw the actual documentary on the man, but I never actually watched the film. Well, I did watch it last night, and we're going to talk about it. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's actually really good, too. <laughs> A heart with nipples. That's right. <laughs> okay, um, let's see here. What do we got? Yesterday was my anniversary. So we planned on going to the same sort of breakfast or slash brunch restaurant that we always go to. What I didn't anticipate, I actually thought it would be the opposite. What I didn't anticipate was that because of 
COVID, it actually makes the waiting time to get into a popular restaurant infinitely larger because you have the same pool of people wanting to consume, but the restaurant itself is socially distant or there's more people coming out because of the oncoming holiday. And so you just have longer waiting lines and they don't take reservations at breakfast joints. So you kind of got to just roll the dice and hope that Snake Eyes comes up. We went to three different well-rated restaurant breakfast brunch places and none of them had any parking up or down the streets and there were lines out the door of people just standing close together in compact spaces. And so we made a judgment call of, do we want to wait for, you know, a couple hours just to get in while we're being surrounded by people who could possibly have this virus that is still striking people down dead in this uh, country? Or we just go home and make breakfast and then go out to the shooting range. We went with the latter. Less sexy, yes, but don't have to tip the waiter. I mean, I gave my tip the waitress <laughs> but it was a whole different thing um yeah so we ended up going to the 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 range and what i did not expect was my wife tried to kill me on her anniversary i have a bruise this big from a fragment of a shell that was ejected from the 357 magnum rifle that she was firing that ricocheted off the wall of the indoor basement firing range that we were at and struck me right in the arm. Now, what she didn't anticipate was that I am the man of motherfucking steel. So I just flexed a little bit and it like bounced off. A normal man would have died. She didn't take that into account. Literally, like a fragment. This, so for, for those of you who don't understand revolvers, Nothing is supposed to eject except for the round at the other end of the firing device, right? At the end of the barrel, and it goes that way. It's not supposed to careen out the side and then hit something and come back. So it was like a magic bullet. I'm starting to believe that Lee Harvey Oswald actually did kill Kennedy. It was really weird. Doesn't make any sense. But I tell you this, it hurt like a fucking... It hurt so bad. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So going to the firing range on our anniversary and we ended up, uh, we ended up with, uh, like buying two Hellcats. <laughs> We're just like, we don't have any like, uh, you know, personal carrying firearms. Let's get some. <laughs> Fuck it. So we did. Can't wait to shoot those if we can find some goddamn ammo somewhere. Um, and the other side about that, uh, story about my anniversary is now I am a layered. And my wife is a lady. We did that thing where you... It, it's like buying land in Scotland, but really it's sponsoring conservation lands. And by sponsoring it, you are now, you know, legally allowed to be a lady or a lord. Or the Scottish version of that is a laird. So we did it. <laughs> we bought up 20 square acres in Scotland. <laughs> and now, officially, we could be, if we were douchebags change our driver's license to, to Laird and Lady Campbell. Kind of kind of fun for a, a... We still haven't watched the video of that either. They sent like this whole package to us. And there's like a little DVD in it. Uh, we still have to watch that. Hmm. Anyway. Good stuff. Nice little romantic thing. Uh, nothing like shooting loads on Valentine's Day. <laughs> 
Yeah, I just didn't expect my wife's load to hurt when it hit me. <laughs> I don't mind getting wet. I mind if it hurts. <laughs> Man. All right, let's see. What do you got? Uh, you didn't expect that. No, it sounds like something should expect being married so long. Okay, so maybe that's what it was. I think maybe Cameron is on to something. <laughs> it wasn't an accident. She tried to take me out. But the power of Satan prevented her, is, is what I say it is. How you doing, Antoine? Thanks for joining from France. Good to see you, man. Uh, does it piss you off when people do that, try, try to do your accent, and they sound like douches like I just did? Does that bug you? Let me know. And if so, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't have enough titles. I need to get uh, Laird in there, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I bought Guns and Land on my anniversary. <laughs> This is America as fuck. <laughs> yeah, that is American. That's a good point. Oh, man. Okay, anyway, we'll get back into the show. I just wanted to share those little funny notes. Uh, you're all yanks to a Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> Does it... I, I wonder, do, do Canadians get pissed when people like sort of you know play like they're the nicest people on earth is that a real thing or is that just like a tongue-in-cheek you know i don't know i think it would kind of bug me i would i would over exaggerate meanness in order to comp comp compensate <laughs> i can speak to compensate for the niceness assumption you know what i mean i'd just be like a straight up double down asshole to everyone to try to even out the balances of niceness versus asshole. <laughs> That's right, real devil. <laughs> All right, let's get into the show. That's enough bantering. We're here for this. The devil's advocate. Let me throw up this image and we will get into it. I was watching the film that I'm going to cover in Creature Feature, and there was a comment that Mr. Rogers made in it that spurred this train of thought. And it's something that I've spoken to as a parent in how we engage and, and help our children navigate, you know, growing up and becoming adults. Um, and I've spoken to it tangentially in context to an individual's growth uh, and certainly around the context of being a Satanist and, and wanting to be the best version of yourself. But there's another side of the conversation that I don't think I've ever had, and that's the application of an idea to the rest of the world as the individual, right? There's this solipsistic idea that if I know something at a certain age, or I understand a concept at this point in my life, then others at that age or at that point should understand the same things. And that's shortcutting a whole host of factors. And so I, I kind of want to talk about some of that. And ultimately, you could sort of take a step back and wrap this all around the idea of perspective. But I wanted to talk about it in the context of growth specifically, because 
it has so many different literal and abstract meanings. So growth is not a race. Uh, it's presented in a sort of tangible way uh, for us human animals, like birth and death, uh, aging, physical height. You know, we like to think of growth as this, this idea that starts at existing and continues. And certainly as Satanists, we champion the idea of forcing yourself to grow and evolve as an individual because growth means adapting and understanding your environment. And if you're not growing, you're a stagnant person. And how can you be a powerful individual if you're stagnant, right? But it's not just this A and B situation. I mean, there, there are periods in our lives, you know, that you expect certain amounts of growth. Uh, you know, you graduate high school and you're expected to be able to understand basic concepts. And then if you go into a trade or a profession or you attend college, you're expected to then start growth from basically a zero and go back to, you know, whatever that uh, cap is, you know, at a master's or a PhD or a bachelor's um, degree. You know, you suddenly go from zero to something new. And then maybe you have kids. And so as a parent, you start from scratch and you don't know shit about parenting. And then you have kids and then suddenly now I've grown and understood that concept. But there's not always this linear path of growth and understanding. And sometimes that's going to be affected by culture. Sometimes it's going to be affected by individual chemistry. And sometimes it's just going to be affected by the fact that you have different life experiences you know, that's why you, you have all those sayings about, well, that person is book smart, but they don't have any common sense. Or that person has a ton of common sense, but they're stupid as fuck academically. Well, they just grow in different ways. And understanding that growth is not a straight linear path, but it's something that different people achieve at different points in their lives about different aspects of life should allow the individual Satanist to further understand a potential target in lesser magic or a potential mate in lesser magic, or simply just getting along in life in a professional environment or in a familial in environment, right? Um, most growth in life is actually in those intangible aspects of life, the emotional aspects, your, your uh, social aspects, and your intellectual aspects, as I touched on uh, just a moment ago. Um, when parents reflect on their children, we focus on having them keep up with these sort of structural norms that are put in place. By X grade, the child must be standing and speaking. By, um, or, you know, X age. By X grade, they should be reading at X levels. And if you happen to have a child that is not at that level, you start beating yourself up like you did something wrong or that there's some strange defect you have to overcome in the child. And what you don't ever, it seems, take into account is the fact that they are not you or they are not necessarily the norm, whatever the hell that means. They're an individual that is just learning at their own pace. And whether that pace matches every other kid is literally irrelevant. What parents get so hyped up and focused on is having exceptional children because that somehow makes you exceptional because you had them right it's this weird way of of 
of almost monetizing your children in popularity or in social uh, rankings. And it makes no sense, and it, it, it doesn't hold up to any semblance of logic, but it is a pattern that parents find themselves uh, being drawn into. And it's actually encouraged by society, which is really even more that, that much more frustrating. And so if we instead focus on the individual child's understandings in the moment and whether or not they're cognitively understanding what they are being tested on is infinitely more like realizing that that's infinitely more important than them actually meeting some sort of manufactured benchmark. What you're going to realize is that those kids who stood and walked earlier or talked earlier or read earlier later in life, they're not necessarily any better off than those who maybe it took them years longer to realize some of those basic benchmarks. It Early development speed does not dictate future growth or success achieved by the child as they are an adult. In fact, most children, whether they were early um, developers or not, even out around high school. And so it doesn't matter from that point on. We just hyper analyze and focus on it so much because we want it to reflect good on us. We don't want to feel bad like we did something wrong as parents. But understanding that growth is not linear for every individual allows us to alleviate that stress, that anxiety, that pressure that we put on ourselves and actually just then focus on what does the child need? What can I do to help facilitate its individual growth. And then ultimately, you're going to end up helping the child so much more. Um, we must accept that if we actively witness growth in ourselves, we have to allow those same processes to occur in our children and in other people. So it's, I'm, I'm not, I hyper-analyze myself all the time. I, I am just super critical about everything and I, I constantly question decisions I made and actions I've taken in life and directions that I've gone into. And because I'm constantly in that headspace, I analyze decisions and actions so much that I'm able to sort of hyperanalyze individual moments of growth, not just in my profession, but in my relationships and, and in being a parent as a whole, right? It allows me the opportunity to then realize that and not be solipsistic in this understanding that I can't expect my kids to go through the same or my wife to be in the same headspace as me or my friends, you know, I, I've lost friends because they just haven't had the same pace of growth, uh, lifestyle growth in my particular in, in, uh, um, experience. They just, they were not at the same pace of growth as I was. And so we grew apart because of it. And, you know, it's unfortunate that you move away from people that you were so connected to before, but that's life. That is just how it works. And what you need to realize is that there might be a place sometime down the road when they catch up that you can then reconnect because you're once again at the same place or at least in a similar understanding. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is a really good point, Ruth. Thanks for putting this up here. Einstein didn't talk until he was two. People thought he was retarded. 
a word we can't even say anymore. I still say it. I want to I want to hold on to that word. Um even though it's super insensitive for 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 uh those who are often derogatorily referred to by it. Um, being a parent is the toughest thing ever. You're trying to focus more on their emotional development. That stuff is harder to learn and unlearn with age. You're absolutely right. Nodgeness. Don't know how to say your name. You're absolutely right. Being a parent sucks because it's really hard until it doesn't suck and it's not so hard. And that that's a really flippant way of phrasing it, but that's the reality of it. One Literally, it's like one minute, there's just stress and pain and anxiety and frustration and just sorrow and the next minute you get a smile or an i love you and everything is washed away and you feel elated you know everything is right at least for the briefest of moments that's what it's like being a parent it's insane so make sure you're ready for it if you choose to to do that um but it's not just parents so i want to get back to this idea of individual growth because especially with satanism and, and let's bring this around to the context of satanists right so I've been communicating the idea of Satanism as effectively as, I don't know, as you, the audience, can claim its effectiveness because I have no measurement for that. Um, but I've been communicating it um, for a decade, right? But the truth is, I am at no greater understanding than someone who has literally read the original texts and processed, processed it cognitively. And that's just the truth of it. When I was a kid and I read the Standard Bible, I did not understand it as I understand it today. And it's not that the text itself has changed at all. It's just that my growth of understanding has ultimately changed dramatically. And I wrote an essay about this, Has Satanism Changed for You Too? And it's focused on this idea that the religion doesn't change, our understanding of it changes. And it's not like it changes and evolves completely into different under uh, di different phases for people. It's just that you either completely understand it at go, or you love the idea of it and you think you understand it, and then you realize you didn't understand it, and you finally realize what it actually is later on. That was the journey I went on. I thought it was something else, even after I read it, because I was so pre-programmed to what it should be, according to religious people. And then I finally come around to understanding what it was, fall in love with this stinking religion, and then start communicating it, right? But we can't always react upon first phasers who maybe don't fully grasp the idea of Satanism or are simply just fans of, of what it could mean if applied to their lives. Because the fact is they just don't understand it yet, like you do, but they will get there. There's this really great uh, article that was in Letters from the Devil, and I did a show on it, um, I don't know, maybe a year ago or close to a year ago, that was uh, someone writing into the doctor and completely mischaracterizing the religion and asking to be an active member or to have you know some benefits of Satan. And the doctor replied very bluntly and, and very intellectually, like he always does in those articles, but there was a little bit at the end that kind of struck me and made me, you know, want to talk about it during the show when I did and bring it up now. And it's that you may not be a good Satanist now, but you may be later. Good luck on that journey. I'm probably, you know, 
breaking it and rephrasing it and stuff. But that was the, the, the seed of what he was putting out there. And I think that's really important to understand is that the growth of understanding, the growth of ideas, even in a religion are going to be reached at different phases. And so there is forever going to be an avenue of communicating Satanism, whether it's by me or anyone else, because people are just going to come to it with different understandings at different points in their lives. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long ago or how recent you read the Satanic Bible. It has everything to do with your individual journey in understanding it. So in, even in a religion, growth is completely subjective to the individual. Um, culturally, growth is in America and arguably around the world, no matter where you are, a painful process. Uh, a civilization grows ultimately to more progressive ends, but getting there is very, very painful especially for uh, peoples who are demonized or marginalized. They're the ones that have to suffer the, the brunt, the ignorance club of that culture. Uh, and it, immediately this idea immediately struck me with the film Easy Rider, which I absolutely adore that film. And I will watch it on any afternoon if I happen to see it on a show or I will just put on my copy because it is a genuinely great film but the very end of the film if you haven't seen it i'm going to spoil it but the very end of the film you have a clash of cultures and it's of course contextually it's in american south and so it's this framing of southern ignorance about interlopers and those that are different aggressively attacking those that are different um, and in this particular case shooting and, and murdering them on the street not because they had done anything wrong but just because they were different, we had to murder them. And so the growth of the motorcyclists and their ideas of individuality, their coming to that notion came much sooner than the culture that they were moving through had. And so they were stuck in this strange time loop and died because of it. We're not so far removed from that in this country. And so when we're talking about politics or when we're referencing different parts of the country or when we're referencing different people that inhabit those or different people in parties that exemplify this idea that some parties grow at a different rate, some people grow at a different rate, it's easy to sort of combine them into this sort of caricature and then, you know, set them up on a wall and try to try to hit them with your, with your uh, rifle at the range. But the truth is, is that each one of those individuals are at a different place and maybe a different understanding of reality than you are right now. And though it's painful as it always has been, they will eventually get to that point or they will die before they get there. Everything exponentially is moving towards progress. Growth will forever move. It may be stalled and it may be slow but it will always move to a more progressive end. That is just the nature of humanity. It has to happen or we destroy ourselves before we get there or we destroy ourselves because we see that progress is coming. Um, and so 
it's it's too easy to demonize others, whether it's political, social, cultural, religious. It's too easy to demonize them. And I'm not saying not to for any great grand reason. You know, hate whoever you want for whatever reason you want. It's your life. I don't care. But if you truly want to be able to have perspective, you have to be able to understand where someone is in their mind, in their life. And simply because you share ethnicity, you share cultural background, or you share similar education does not necessarily mean that they've grown at the same rate as you. Some people are holding on to hate and pain because it's just comfortable at this point. And if that works for you, okay, ultimately it's going to make you ill and it's going to hurt your physical body and, and your mental body. It's, it's better, in my opinion, to go into the ritual chamber and get rid of that hate and anger. And then you can move more um, uh, positively for yourself in your own life. But that's why I want to talk about growth, because it has so many different contexts that it can touch on, but it all goes back to the same exact idea. Don't be solipsistic that everyone's going to grow at the same rate, because we're not. Whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, the truth is, is we are all in different, very different places, even if we're right next door. Perspective is everything. Uh, what do you guys have to say here? You remember that response that stood out to you as an extremely important concept? All right, dang it, where... What are you guys referencing? Oh, the parent one, yeah. Uh, you're a Catholic. You respect all religions. You had so many questions about Satanism and standard Bible. I don't know how to say this, but it makes more sense than my own. I still don't fully understand. Good on you for being open to it. When I was, uh, when I first read the standard Bible and identified as a Satanist, I, I grew up in actually a Mormon household. My parents often would invite missionaries over and give them food and, you know, just entertain them for a little while. Um, and they would combatively sort of talk to me about my chosen religion of Satanism. And they would try to force me to read their books. I was like, look, I'll make you a deal. If you read my book, the Standard Bible, then I will read yours, the Book of Mormon. I, I've already read it. I, you know, you're sort of read it or forced to read it as a kid. But they didn't know that. They just knew that they were facing a Satanist and they wanted to, you know, be Jesus' fucking super quarterback so uh they refused they're like no i can't i'm not allowed to read that so the fact that you're here as a catholic open to another religion's perspective i think is incredibly important as a human and whether or not you end up being a satanist i think is less important what is important is that you understand the truth of it and then you can move through life more informed that's much more important uh you're a grower not a shower <laughs> That's funny. No comfort in a growth zone. Here, here, and no growth in a comfort zone. That's great, and I like that a lot. I used to think Satanists were like Nazis, evil, etc. Oh, yeah, no. No. Some people like the aesthetic, though. I do think Nazis had great aesthetic. Their uniforms were fucking awesome. Doesn't mean I like the ideas behind it, <laughs> but I do like the uniforms. Uh, you think society always progresses until it doesn't. It's an unstoppable process. However, the discomfort of progress you think is necessary. Yeah, I think you're right, Jeff. Absolutely. Too many stress hormones affect learning as you see in almost any child from an abusive home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or parents just not... You don't even have to be overtly abusive. You can just have ignorant parents who just don't know how to properly 
teach children. And I feel like I fell into that category as a parent for years. I just, I felt sort of like hands in the air. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm supposed to do, you know, how I'm supposed to encourage this, this, my children to, to grow and be better versions of themselves without acting as if they're not good versions right now. You know, just this idea that you're going to continue to grow and be better and better if it's something you're willing to work at. And I didn't know how to convey that. And so I think I failed for a long time as a parent. And it it hurts. It really fucking hurts uh, to admit that. But it's fucking true. Um, okay, so let's that's, that's enough for this conversation. Let's move on to some more stuff. <laughs> Politics in Fro Informer. All right, let me throw up this image and we'll get into it. There is going to be this grace period that we have to keep talking about Trump because it's sort of the elephant in the political room. It's going to end. <laughs> it will end. I think we're close to that end. But because the Senate just voted, um, I wanted to talk about this. And this is an article actually by David Axelrod, who I think is a total douchebag personally, but the title is This Was No Triumph for Trump, and this is from CNN.com. There was never a doubt that former President Donald Trump would escape conviction in his latest impeachment trial. The jurors were, after all, politicians, and in a 50-50 Senate, the constitutional bar of 67 votes was never achievable. Not in these bitterly polarized times, anyway. But even as the final chapter was known from the start, it was essential that the story of Trump's brazen acts be told. It was the story of the months, not just the moment, of calculated incitement, of Trump's cold-blooded indifference to the lives he put in jeopardy at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, including, most shockingly, that of his faithful Vice President Mike Pence. It was the story of a president desperately trying to cling to power, weaponizing those he had radicalized to believe the election was being stolen from them and that it was their patriotic duty to prevent this. He summoned them to Washington, D.C. that day as Congress convened to make his defeat official. He revved them up with talk of losing their country. He filled them with martial rhetoric and sent them down to Pennsylvania Avenue to stop the steal. And he watched the horror he unleashed, unfold on television, spurning pleas to call off the mob and send in reinforcement to buttress the badly outmanned Capitol Police. Seven people would die, including three police officers and one of Trump's followers. It was, in short, the story of a commander-in-chief who flouted his oath and plotted to undermine the most basic of democratic institutions, free and fair elections. As in the House, a handful of Republican senators had the courage to place country over tribe and vote to hold the former president accountable. They did so with their eyes open. They had seen what happened to Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney and nine other Republicans in the House who voted for impeachment. They put themselves at similar risk of primary challenges and, at a minimum, a lot of grief. 
the rest of Republicans fell in line as expected. They knew that the brooding self-defeat, uh, sorry, the brooding defeated president was watching and taking names just as he was on January 6, ready to unleash the fury of his still loyal base on anyone who dared to step out of line. His lawyers, who fumbled the way through the early part of the trial, concluded their arguments by channeling Trump himself with blatant lies and partisan attacks and pretensions that his actions were totally appropriate. It was a crazy stew of red meat for the base and red herrings about rules and procedures. They questioned the constitutionality of impeaching a former president. They argued his First Amendment right to inflame the crowd. They did everything but defend his actions. And it was more than enough for a majority of Republican senators, some of whom declared their position long before the opening gavel fell. But this was far from a triumph for Trump. Though he avoided sanction, the trial imposed a more enduring penalty on him by laying bare for the world and history his craven role in orchestrating the seditious mayhem at the Capitol. In a few riveting days, the House managers shined a light on Trump's role in the tragic events of, of January 6, relying heavily on his own incendiary words over months, not just that day. Ironically, Trump was betrayed by his favorite tools, Twitter and video. And so Trump goes down in history as the only president to have been impeached twice, with both cases involving nefarious schemes. The first was his attempt in two th uh, 2019 to enlist the president of Ukraine to open an investigation to smear Joe Biden, the Democratic opponent Trump rightly feared. The second was his months-long stratagem to improperly overturn Biden's victory through fragrantly false claims about the integrity of the election that culminated in the January 6th insurrection. By escaping conviction Saturday, he also avoided official disqualification from holding public office in the future. But the story laid out the trial, which was powerful and convincing. That will disqualify him in the eyes of a majority of Americans. He was spared today, but this trial has endured, I'm sorry, this trial has ensured that Donald Trump won't escape the verdict of history. Um, I think political commentary like this is, is really frustrating to read because it pretends like people fucking care. It pretends like voters who are continuously screwed by the Republicans they put in office somehow care that those Republicans are lying, cheating, law-breaking weasels. They don't care. There are a, a, certainly the majority of Republicans who put these people in office and watch them act with zero ethical conscience, flouting laws and ignoring and shitting on the people that put them in the office continue this behavior year after year as they sink further and further into despair financially and emotionally the society crumbling all around them they still vote them into office because it's their team americans think of politics like it is a sport and you see people voting and cheering on voting cheering on and defending losing teams historic losing teams all the time teams that are considered cursed and continually bring down the cities that they're supposed to be representing but they still fight for them americans love an underdog story even if that underdog is fucking your wife 
In this case, it's fucking your life. They don't care. People who vote for these Republicans don't care. Not about the country, not about the country's laws, not about anything. All they care about is that their team saves as much face in defeat as possible. And that's why you get that oh-so-beloved line um, uh, <laughs> that I can't remember right now. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, it was, it was all queued up in my head, too. Um, all the South was looking for was dignity and defeat. Dignity and defeat. And I think that's what Trump's base was hoping for. Dignity and defeat. Trump wasn't letting them have it. He wasn't even giving them the opportunity. And so they would rather stand up against the country they claim to love than actually allow the election to proceed. And let's be honest about something. For years, Republicans have been in control of Congress. Not because they are actually the most popular party, but because they game the system. They're actually a minority of represented followers. They, they represent an infinitesimal amount of the majority of Americans. Less than 30% of Americans consider themselves Republican. So how do they keep control? How do they dominate politics? How do they allow a criminal to go off scot-free because they don't care? about the laws. They don't care about the precedent. It's a team. It's a game. As long as they're making money and the people they're stepping on keep holding them up to crowd surf, they don't care. And that's just how it is. So that's why everyone knew going into this that he was going to be acquitted. He was not going to be convicted. The numbers weren't there. People just sort of cross their fingers and hope that Republicans would do the right thing. Oh, have a conscience. They didn't get to where they are with a conscience. Why would they grow one now? And you cannot equivocate anything that the Democrats have done, as corrupt as some of them very well are, with this. This is very, very different. And so you're going to have people afraid that what this means is that now that he's uh, been acquitted, that he's going to come back in four years and he's going to run again and he's going to win and he's going to you know, break down the rule of law. Just remember, they're a minority. They cannot win ever if people show up to vote. But people don't. When they did, he lost. When they didn't show up, he won. So as long as people are defending their democracy, he cannot come back. He cannot win again because Republicans are a minority. They do not believe in progress. They believe in stagnating social norms to some bygone era that never actually existed where everyone was happy and everyone had apple pie and everyone was equally able to pull himself up by their bootstraps and capitalism allowed everyone a fair chance never existed not once they believe in fairy tales i'm not saying you should vote democratic or you should vote independent or whatever libertarian i don't care who you vote for vote for fucking republicans for all i care i'm just pointing out the reality behind the republicans they don't care about you they never have and they never will so 
this does not mean that they're going to take power. The only way they can get power again and actually become a more destructive force than they were the past four years, which says a lot, is if you don't show up to vote. If you allow it to happen. That's the only way. And why do I say you and not me? Because I take part in my fucking country's elections. This whole argument that it doesn't matter so you shouldn't vote and there's no consequences of who gives a fuck. Things are just going to ebb and flow. No, 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 no. Look at history. Empires fall hard. And we almost did. And here's the other thing is, you know, we bloviate this idea of the, the attack on the Capitol. And it was impactful and it was important. And it's really important to make a statement about it and try to convict this asshole for having stirred up that, the, the, the assault itself. That's important. If there was actually a half of Americans that actually believed the nonsense, they would have succeeded. If it was as many Americans as they claim followed their lies, they would have succeeded. But they didn't. And they will never because they are a minority. It's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. It's the loudest QAnon insanity that gets the attention. And so everyone thinks that all Republicans must be like QAnon. No, they're not. They're not at all. There are some actual Republicans that care about the country that they're serving, that actually believe what they claim to believe as a party. I think it's nonsense, but they don't, and that's great. That's the point of multiple parties in a, in a country politically. We only have actual two, but the truth is we have multiple parties. Um, my point is that you can be a Republican and not be an insane Trump cult follower. The danger that we're seeing is that because so many Republicans, uh, members of Congress, latched onto Trump cult nonsense because they thought it would get them where we want to go, or they're just afraid of his retaliation from his followers of their constituents, they're going to realize that they're going to get primaried and they're going to lose. Because again, they're a minority. Once you get the difference between a rational, normal human being Republican and an insane Trump cult member, the rational Republican is going to win every time. I don't like those odds, but that's, I don't like it because I don't want Republicans to be in power because they always, you know, stop progress. Um, but that's the truth. That's, that's the reality of it. So I know people are like always like yelling at me or shitting on me because I don't like Republicans and I'm a Satanist. Why don't Satanists like Republicans? <laughs> because they're against everything I stand for. Individual freedom. And if you don't believe that, you haven't paid attention to what they've been doing their entire lives. <laughs> um, it's just the truth. All right, let's see what you guys have to say about this. Um, ba -ba -da. The author is putting a lot of faith, for lack of a better term, in people remembering and agreeing with him. Any of the f this from four years from now, the average attention span is far less. You're right, Jeff. That's, that was my point of like, they're not going to care because they're not going to remember it. Or if they do remember it, it's going to be differently. We always reflect on our childhood very differently from the way it actually was. You know, most people nowadays, when they think about the 60s, they think about hippies and rock and roll. They don't think about riots and hangings. But those were a reality. 
Um, you called Senator Barr's office every day of the trial. You said you knew Barr was retiring, so this is his chance to show courage, make a real statement. You vote convict hair here. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is that this country is it's it's so good about its um propaganda right freedom isn't free don't tread on me uh you know we have to stand up and fight for our freedoms until those freedoms are being taken away and you have to get up to vote then you're like oh but it doesn't matter what i say and you know it's just more comfortable here on the couch and there's another season of the bachelor to, to binge so you know i'll just i'll stay where i am with my, my america uh, i don't know fl like flag hat <laughs> whatever um politicians feared people with an individual voice who aren't docile or easily pushed over who keep standing up well they they feel gr fear groups of constituents like that which is why so many of those republican uh senators decided to go with trump because their vocal constituents were backing trump once you get a vocal group that's not backing him in that same district their decision making would have been very very different but people aren't vocal they just think things are going to turn out well we never look at the reality of history. Do not be forgetful of past orthodoxies. <laughs> it's funny how reps uh, supposedly believe in smaller government, but yet every turn they demand more laws about personal behavior. You're right. Where did um, this comment? Someone said, I'm sorry, I, I'm trying to scan this. Jason, you completely agree with you, Ruth. Oh, you wish you had multiple parties. That's part of the problem. Marjorie Taylor Greene wasn't even elected. Yeah, wasn't she? Was she was like it was? Um, was that rank choice voting that put her in office? I can't remember exactly. A Republican governing points stand in stark contrast to Satanism to advancing the human animal. That's right, because the, it's progress. That, that's they they don't like progress. They're terrified of it. And that's I don't want to just say that Republicans are that way. Humanity is terrified of it. But there again, going back to growth. Some people are ready for it, and some people are desperately desiring it because they've been shit on their entire lives for simply identifying in a different way or just simply looking a different way or, or just liking things differently than others. It's fucking standard panic, you know? So that's all I have to say about that. I don't know how to end that, <laughs> that, that article. Uh, we're going to move on from Trump, hopefully for forever. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, legal, and there are right now, a lot of legal issues he's facing. I am not going to be covering all that. I covered him so much in the past four years because he was president of the United States. He no longer is. This last attention grasp is gone. So I'm, I'm going to be moving on from him. I'll be focusing on others, other insane people in Congress and in the... Uh, in the White House. James says Democrats are collectivist. Some are. All right, let me do this next one here. Uh, waka waka waka. Let's talk about kissing people. Not kissing people, but kissing comma people. Um, science explains why we kiss. So there's this really great video that was produced by PBS uh, and then this website, earthsky.org, made a news article about the video, giving the following context. 
You kiss your romantic partner, partner, your children, and even your pets. But why? Educational YouTuber Joe Hansen of a series, It's Okay to Be Smart, explains in this video. Kissing is intensely sensory. Human lips are made for kissing. They have more nerves than any other part of your body. That's right. The lips have more nerves than your genitals do. Wrap your lips around that one. Uh, kissing releases endorphins, natural feel-good chemicals and internal stimulants that send extra oxygen to your brain. At the same time, kissing lowers the stress hormone cortisol. Henson goes on to explain that 90% of all human cultures kiss. We have records of kissing going back to 3,500 years. Uh, so kissing in part of our human, it's part of our human heritage. It's a complex biological act. It cements relationships and it's good for you. Since we stand upright, rosy colors are a way of advertising fertility. You see those apes with those rosy behinds? They're not standing upright, are they? <laughs> for whatever reason, we are attracted to that <laughs> that hue, and uh, let's put it on our lips and uh, let's make out. I use five of your 12 cranial nerves by kissing. And that pucky pucker face of kissing, I'm not going to do the kissy face because I'll look like an idiot. Uh, that actually comes from breastfeeding. Children sucking at the teat. Uh, and even tilting your head to the right. For most people, that's the same direction that most mothers tilt the baby's head in order to nurse. So it, it comes down to this weird biological response. So, you know, like some people when they kiss, you know, they sort of move left and right and, you know, you're sort of doing whatever you do. Think about the, like your go-to, just like your first kiss. Where, how did you lean? It's probably the way your mom breastfed you or gave you the bottle when she was holding you. Um, even, uh, so kissing, oh, so kissing actually has roots in smelling as well, right? So you move in and some people are smelling at the same time as they're kissing because one, you have to breathe <laughs> somehow, uh, but also just getting close to someone. This is something that, I don't know how many people appreciate the erotic nature of this. Just moving in close on someone's face just before you kiss and just hanging there for a second. You're smelling with your nose. You're breathing with your lap. You're feeling their breath from hopefully their mouth and not their nose, their mouth on your face, on your lips. Ah, I got I to gotta give a quick time out because there is nothing grosser than nose breath. Oh, sweet hell. If you've ever been in a work environment with someone standing behind you and you can feel their nose breath, like on your hair or on your skin. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> nose breath. Fuck you, nose breath. No, but <laughs> like the breath from their mouth. I'm getting back into it. It's so sexy. Oh my gosh, just hang out there just for a second. You don't want to do like, uh, 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 like huff them or anything, but just for a second. And then you kiss them lightly. You know, just, just sort of playfully doing it. Wow. It is awesome. It's so great. And kissing is one of those things, like if you're not in the mood for sex, kissing with foreplay is going to get you going. It's going to turn your engine over. It will 100% turn someone who's just really not in their head, that headspace at all into I've got to get this on now. It's worked for me in the past. It works on me all the fucking time. It's it's the sexiest thing ever. And here's the the, the saddest part about this. The longer you're in the relationship, typically, the less you actually make out. 
Like you'll do like, oh, I love you, kiss, and then goodbye, or you, you know, you meet them at the airport and you hug them and you give them a kiss or whatever. But actually, like making out, you, you don't really do that in most relationships that are, you know, been that way for a while. You have to work at it, is what I'm saying. Keep going. And I'm not saying like, you know, you got to be crazy. Like when I was first told how to French kiss, because I'd never done it before, my best friend at the time told me how to do it. And he said, this is embarrassing. He said, you had to try to lick the back of their teeth. I was burned by that advice on more than one occasion. Because instead of the girl pushing me away and going, what the fuck are you doing? They just sort of let it happen because they liked me and then they moved on and giggled about it or whatever. Like, like what the fuck? You got to tell people about this. Don't lick teeth. <laughs> Your tongue is supposed to play with their tongue lightly, not like deep in. Just play. Don't lick teeth, freaks. <laughs> Don't tell your friends that. I'm emotionally scarred and so are those girls. Yeah, it was fucked up. <laughs> Uh, all right, what do you guys think about this? Kissing, and oh, and here's the other thing. I wanted to close with this idea. Kissing can actually be more erotic than the act of sex itself. Like the amount of chemicals released in your brain prove this out. The act of kissing is more erotic than fucking. Rad your lips around that. Uh, all five sensors are properly engaged during a proper kiss. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it has the nostril whistle. <laughs> I don't want to get back into that. Oh, brush your nose. <laughs> uh, stick your tongue up there and clean the whistle out. Oh my gosh, Jonathan. <laughs> what is happening? Uh, a little light blowing. Yeah, that's great. Nothing will get you laid faster than the neck kisses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Keep that in mind. I know we're in a COVID situation in, in some regionally, wherever you live, it's much more locked down than others. Once you get the opportunity to share those little kisses with those that you want to, don't underestimate them and appreciate them and take advantage of them. It'll do you good. And maybe you'll get laid. <laughs> All right, that's it for this Infernal Informant. Let's do a little creature feature. I started early and I'm almost at my time. I don't want to rush through this, so let's do it. throw this image up here now i will not be openly weeping like i was watching this film but i do want to talk about it because it is a brilliant film a beautiful day in the neighborhood i grew up watching mr rogers neighborhood and so my relationship with him is one of exposing me to jazz exposing me to ideas like electric cars um, I lived in a multicultural area in my early childhood, so that was never a big deal for me. But he breached topics like death with children. That's not normal in that time. You know, they talked about your dog going, you know, uh, to a farm up in the north or something. 
or to doggy heaven, but they never actually spoke of war and suffering and pain and death like he did. And so you actually learned from him, not, not things like tying your shoe necessarily, but you learned about what it means to be human. And that is why I loved him so much as a kid. I didn't understand until later, but that's why. Uh, this film is a reflection of an article that was written about him based on, uh, the article was Can You Say Hero by Tom Janad. Uh, this was directed by Mariel Heller. It was released in 2019. Uh, I'm a little late to the party here. It was produced by Yori Henley, Peter Seraf, Mark Turtletaub, and Leah Holzer. Written by Micah Fitzsermon Blue and Noah Harpster. It stars Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, Matthew Rees, I, I believe is Tom Janad, and uh, Susan Kelchi Watson and Chris Cooper. It depicts Lloyd Vogel, Rees' troubled journalist for Esquire, who is assigned to profile television icon Fred Rogers, played by Hanks. It was nominated for a ton of awards, and won a couple of them. Um, just for context, Fred Rogers died in 2003, and uh, he was a Presbyterian minister. So, why does a Satanist actively promote a Presbyterian minister's children's television show? Because it was the most Satanic television show I ever saw in my life. For the very reason that I started this section with. It told you how to be a human being. And what it meant. And that it hurts sometimes. And that it's okay to be angry and frustrated. Because that is what being human is. It means accepting those carnal aspects of yourself. And religion typically tells you to squash those. Because those are not pure or godly emotions. You need to suppress them or ignore them. And just ignore them and hope they go away. Because you want to be like God. But he was teaching you how to be a human. There's nothing more satanic than that. Accept your carnal nature. And work as an individual through your own problems. Understanding that other people are going to be going through similar situations. That's going to give you perspective. That's going to help you with lesser magic. It's amazing. Okay, but the, the film itself... It's a guy who thinks that Fred Rogers is putting on an act and he's not actually what he purports himself to be, right? Uh, and he uh, doesn't even want to give the article because really what he does is expose people for being fakes and phonies uh, professionally in these, his Esquire columns. And that's what he's known for. And then he goes and meets Fred Rogers and, you know, sort of goes through a lot of personal trauma, which is what spurred growth uh, as the topic for today. Because he was holding on to a lot of hate and anger for his father for abandoning him and his uh, sister when they were kids and their mother had cancer and was dying. I think it was cancer anyway, but she was dying. And uh, he was holding on to that as an adult. And the idea of forgiveness, I, I think it's just a human act. And I, I think forgiveness has different faces, right? There's, for, I forgive you for a wrong that you've done for me, uh, to me, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing in all cases. It's up to the individual. You do whatever feels best for you. I don't think there's any other, you know, grand reason why you should forgive anyone. Except for yourself. The other aspect of forgiveness that I'm referring to is 
letting go of the frustration or the pent-up anxiety or the anger or the animosity because that's going to hold you back in your life. So you don't have to forgive the person, but you can let loose of those emotions that are the same as if you had forgiven them through greater magic ritual. Um, so uh, he's holding on to all this anger, and that's why Fred Rogers wants to continue to be an influence in his life and continue to, you know, have him talk with him and stuff because he's trying to help him. He sees someone in pain and he's trying to help him through that pain. That's an altruistic thing that, you know, comes from his Presbyterian ministry. I don't purport that people do that in their lives. I certainly don't, but if you want, if it makes you feel good, then do it. But otherwise don't feel obligated for anything. Um, it did make Fred Rogers feel good and that's how he lived his life. And I'm glad that he did it because it allowed me the opportunity to learn from him what I could. Um, I certainly didn't learn religion from him because he didn't teach it. He was a minister who put on a children's program that was not about religion. And I really appreciate that. As an adult, I really, really appreciate that. And so whenever I reflect on him and his life in the documentary they put out about, and I weeped openly, and then watching this and I weeped openly, it's... It's about who he was as a human being, not as a minister, and what he did for children and how they could be better human beings, not better Christians. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, whoa, what the hell are you guys talking about? Who turned out to be a horrible child molester? You had Jimmy Seville. Oh. That's that's a nightmare. If I if I just found out that Fred Rogers was a horrible child molester, my brain would break. I would not be able to handle that information. You just freaked me out now. Wow, that's crazy. That's disgusting. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. Ruth says uh, you're just typing that. He told kids what being human means. Yeah, it, you can't you can't put a price on that because no one does that. Every other adult thinks that we have to teach kids how to be children not how to be human and the fact is is the world is wildly cruel and it doesn't pull punches and if you don't tell children what and why then they're just going to make up their own reasons and it may not be reality based or it may actually hurt them later in life so you would be doing them a service by being upfront with them and that's what he did, and it was fucking brilliant. Uh, as with most things, the individual has to separate what works from what doesn't. Uh, there were many satanic elements to his show, and I'm happy you, uh, you were happy you grew up watching it. There are also many moments where judo, uh, judo Christian, pseudo Christian values took center stage. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I feel like that's just our culture. You know, we can't get away from it, and so I sort of turn a blind eye. You know, when I start seeing the the Christian dogma being you know, put in, I either like scoff, like, oh boy, here we go again. Or I just ignore it. You know, I just, I focus on what I like to focus on. So, um, that's why I have to clear my web browser when I die. <laughs> I have to have someone do it because I like to focus on what I like to focus on. Uh, let's see. Fred Rogers was a wizard in the best sense of the way in a relatively new medium TV. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he did a lot of walking away, too. Like, he, he felt like he had completed his job, uh, what he set out to do, and then he left. Um, and, I, you know, there's a lot of people who don't attribute him for getting funding for PBS. 
when they really should. He stood up at Congress and he was just talking to the the congressman who was the person preventing the funding from going. And he turned him around just by talking to him. And he didn't give an impassioned plea. He just told him what he did. And that alone was enough for a naysayer to say, all right, give them the millions they want. It's worth it. That is power. Power. If You can still watch that um, Congress meeting too. It's really great, actually. Um, you're not alone, Lazarus. My wife wasn't, she didn't ever watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I, I don't know if it was like a space and time thing, like an age at a specific time or you know, some, it just resonated with some people when other things resonated for others. So I'm not saying it's better or worse if you liked him or not, or you're exposed to him or not, or, you know, whatever. For me, it meant something. And so I like to reflect on why, you know, I try to connect those ideas of why do I get so emotional when I think about his life in the context of the creation that he made for children? Why does that matter to me? What did I learn from that? That's where I really can uh, understand why it was important to me. You know, if, if people found that in Sesame Street or Blue's Clues or whatever as kids, then, you know, more power to you. This is just what happened to speak to me. So I highly recommend this. IMDb gave it a 7.3 out of 10. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 95% certified fresh with a 92% audience score. It is a very good film. It is a feel-good film with a nice underlayer of pain to just rouse those emotions for that cathartic ending and uh, reconnects you with your childhood if you happen to be young when you watched him. So that's all I have for that. I highly recommend it. Check it out. And that's it. That's it for the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in on this Valentine's Day. I hope you guys have an opportunity to connect carnally with another human being. I know I will. <laughs> Definitely will. Um, I may have to do a little neck kissing first. <laughs> It'll happen. Damn it. It will happen. I got my love potion. Mm. Let's make this happen, baby. All right. So thank you guys so much for tuning in for another nine cents. I debated on doing today's show because I, you know, I was like, ah, do I just, you know, let's just spend the whole day with you and instead, but it's only an hour and, you know, let's be honest, I'm good for a good two minutes. So <laughs> I don't need all day. <laughs> I brag. <laughs> I know some of you are like two minutes. You're fucking Adonis. I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, hail Satan, everyone. <laughs>